Thank you, Dave, so much. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be here at Free Counties and to be invited to speak this morning, and uh, a real welcome to those who are joining online. As Dave said, over the last uh, few weeks, uh, really since, I guess, the end of September, my wife Vicky, my two children, Barnabas and Anastasia, we've really enjoyed coming here. Uh, We've been here, obviously, a few times through the month of uh, October. Uh, It's been wonderful to get to know people and uh, to meet people, um, but we're also enjoying uh, coming online as well. Well, I've been asked to speak on the subject, hurry, the great enemy of the spiritual life. And I don't know if you've heard this particular aspect of the creation account. God created the dog. Have you heard this one? God created the dog and said, sit all day by the door and bark at anyone who goes past or comes in. For this, I'll give you 20-year lifespan. The dog said, 20 years to bark at people as they go by. That's a long time. What about if I give you back 10? So God said, okay, I'll, give, I'll take back 10. God agreed. Next, God created the monkey. And he said to the monkey, he said, monkey, entertain people with tricks and make them laugh. And for this, I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, 20 years entertaining people, making them laugh. He said, that's a long time. How about I give you back 10, just like the dog? So God agreed. God then created the cow. And he said, cow, you must go into the field all day long with the farmer And you must toil under the hot sun. You must have calves. You must give milk to the farmer. You must pull uh, the farmer's equipment. And for this, I'll give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, oh, that's a tough life. He said, for 60 years? He said, how about I do 20 and I'll give you back 40? Well, God agreed. Then God created man and woman. And he said to them, eat, sleep, play marry, enjoy life. For this, I'll give you 20 years. Well, they said, 20 years, only 20 years. Could you possibly, they said, give us the 20 that um, uh, from, from the monkey and from the dog and the 40 that you gave the cow to make 80? And God said, okay, I will. So that is why for the first 20 years, We eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at anyone who walks by. Now, I don't know if that helps explain a little bit of the rush and the hurry of our lives. 40 years under the sun, slaving away like the cow. Well, that's going to be our topic today. So should we just pause for a moment? I'm just going to pray uh, for God by his Holy Spirit to come and speak to us afresh. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are here. You are in our midst, in our homes, in this church building by your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that you will come and speak to us. Speak to us through your word in scripture. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord... Help us to receive your perspective and your truth about the hurry and the rush of life and how we can receive rest and peace from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I imagine that most of us listening would identify with the words rush and hurry as we reflect perhaps just on the past week, but as we reflect on our lives. And that's something that uh, Lee was helping us to consider a few moments ago with her excellent all-age talk. We hurry to leave home every morning in order to get the children to school on time or to get to work on time. Certainly I do. I'm never quite leaving with enough time. Uh, We rush to the shops and our lunch break uh, just to get the things that we need and to get back to work in time. Uh, We then hurry back home, perhaps to help oversee the homework if we have children, uh, to cook some supper, uh, to get uh, children if we have them, uh, to bed. Um, We then maybe try and cram in as much email management as possible, uh, maybe we then have our dinner. Maybe we then want to just make sure we've got an hour for a Netflix before we go to bed. Uh, And then we start that whole pattern again. And uh, for many of us, life just seems a permanent rush, permanent hurry. Now, lockdown might well have changed that. I don't know. Uh, Lockdown might have given us a lot more space. And uh, maybe God's actually doing something uh, in our lives Uh, really challenging the way that we're living, the way that we are rushing and we're hurrying everywhere. Uh, But it may be that lockdown's made it even more stressful. And actually, uh, this past week, my wife and I thought we we had quite a nice week ahead of us because I'm uh, between jobs at the moment. I'm starting a new job in about a week's time. But uh, we thought we had a nice leisurely week with the children at school. And then suddenly, the dreaded email from the head teacher. Uh, that first of all, our son's year group were being asked to go home for two weeks and to do homeschooling. And then the next day, my daughter's year group all recalled home for homeschooling. And I have to say, it has been a stressful week. All that technology, trying to get those Zoom lessons to work, trying to get our head around the timetable, and then trying to print off reams and reams of exercises and the printer going wrong. Anyhow, there we are. So lockdown might have been a real blessing to us, might have really kind of released uh, some space, or it might have been the other way around. I don't know. But the increase in the pace of our lives, uh, if we look back over recent history, I think is undeniable. And it's a gradual increase. You can go back in history and say, well, perhaps it started a little bit, uh, started to increase the pace of kind of rush and hurry and pressure, started to increase at the Industrial Revolution, the urbanization of our country, um, when uh, many people started working in factories um, and perhaps working longer hours. That led to the invention of electricity. I think that had a massive impact on the way that we lived. Um, I um, haven't spoken to anybody, I don't think, uh, in this country who's lived without electricity, but I'm actually involved with projects in India, and there are still many, many villages that don't have electricity in India. What happens? Well, people go to bed a lot earlier, um, and they don't have all sorts of electrical appliances um, that tend to distract them. Um, So when electricity was invented, suddenly we went to bed much later. We were uh, able to do all sorts of things in the evening because of the light. And I'm sure, therefore, that uh, there was an increase in pressure um, in our lives and demand on our time. Then, of course, the car has totally transformed the way we live. Uh, I guess in this area most of us have cars. I know that some will not. But for those of us who have cars, our possibility in terms of travel, in terms of where we can get to, has been totally transformed. Uh, and it means that we can keep in touch with many more people and arguably made our lives much, much easier. Busier, endless possibilities. 
And then the TV came along, I guess. Um, and uh, certainly my parents grew up without televisions, and uh, they would talk about the way they spent their time. And there was just much more space, much more time. Uh, you look at the figures for you know, viewing. Uh, we spent a lot of our time, you know, we call it leisure time, whether it's leisure or not, this is debatable, watching television. Sunday trading. That was a big change about uh, 30 years ago. Uh, Sundays used to be a very different kind of day. There was actually a very limited range of things that you could do. But uh, now Sunday is much like uh, any other day. There are so many things that can fill our time. And then, of course, the biggest shift in the way that we use our time came again about 25 years ago, and the Internet. The invention of the Internet, and the Internet became something that was available to most of us. Um, And it alone has changed the world, Um, and not just for the better, I would argue. Uh, Depending on who you talk to and the research that you look at, um, it's decreasing our IQs and at least our capacity to focus on something, our capacity to pay attention. And uh, certainly it's increasing stress and complexity in my experience of homeschooling. Uh, It's uh, not straightforward. But then the pace of hurry and rush, I want to suggest, accelerated at an ever greater pace from the year 2007. And that was the year when I believe the iPhone was launched and the smartphone was invented. And now we had the ability to take around the World Wide Web and our emails and everything associated with it in our back pockets. And of course, at the same time, social media started to develop. Facebook was launched just a couple of years before. um, And it meant we could take around all this social media just in our back pockets. And I suggest it's had an extraordinary impact on the way we spend our time, um, on the distractions that we face minute by minute. I was uh, invited about three and a half years ago to speak at a conference in America, and I was so excited. I've never, been ex- I've never been invited to speak at a conference in my life before, not even in the village next door, but this was in America. Um, and so, of course, I went. I didn't even ask my church elders uh, for permission. I just uh, replied by email. I said, I'd love to come. And, uh, in fact, it was a world, a global golf conference. I was a vicar at the time, so you might think, oh, that's a little tenuous. Well, they were asking me to talk about the rapid decline of the um, denominational church. This doesn't apply to free counties because you're not part of a denomination. But other denominations like the Church of England, like the Methodist Church and uh, uh, the Roman Catholic Church have seen a really severe decline in attendance over the past few decades. And the golf industry in the West, believe it or not, has seen a similar decline. And um, I'd been speaking to somebody who was organizing this conference, and you know, he was saying, oh, it's so difficult. The golf industry is really seeing a massive decline in the number of participants. I said, oh, it's the same as the church. Anyhow, we started talking and seeing there were quite a lot of similarities, and so he invited me to come and speak about um, what, um, what, what you, know, you could do to turn around a declining church. So that was very interesting. But the keynote speaker was a very interesting man who apparently ran one of the biggest kind of statistical uh, organizations in America. And um, I think his organization had come up with the biggest sporting index, a uh, kind of um, massive database of sporting data in the world. Um, and so he was one of the kind of greatest speakers on statistics, on research, and on how to bring data together. And he spoke about the impact of the iPhone. 
which was really interesting. And uh, he said, I am doing the first piece of research in my working life that I'm having to fund myself. I can get no corporation to sponsor it. Normally, I get corporations to sponsor our research. But this piece of research into the impact of the smartphone on our relationships, I can get no corporation to sponsor. No corporation is interested in sponsoring something that might undermine uh, an instrument that really, they think, enables extended productivity enables people to access work, information, emails, day and night. And he said what he found, what he was beginning to find in his research, was really, really uh, alarming. He was saying our ability to relate well face-to-face was really being undermined by our tendency to relate more and more online, not face-to-face. And, of course, the iPhone and the smartphone has enabled that to accelerate at uh, a tremendous pace. And he, he was just saying, look, the participation in sport has really declined over the last 10 years. And he says it's to do with the iPhone and it's to do with streamed television. Um, look at people's um, tendency to socialize, maybe in, in a pub or elsewhere in the evening. That has really declined in most places. Again, he said it's because of people's use of the iPhone and streaming information from the internet. And he's got so much research to suggest that that's having a devastating impact on our ability just to have healthy face-to-face relationships with one another. And um, uh, I guess it's not difficult for us to see some of the consequences of that, just in the way that social media can be used, and some of the aggression and the anger that people use in their discourse on social media with people that they're not face-to-face with. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her iPhone 2,617 times a day, and uh, each user is on his or her iPhone for about two and a half hours, over 76 sessions a day. But for millennials, apparently that's twice uh, the amount. Uh, And that's just smartphone use. That's not uh, connected with our use of laptops and um, other devices. And it's easy for us, I think, to assume that this pace of life is normal. But it's not. You know, the time famine that we are now used to is relatively recent. And we're still testing it out on the human race. We don't know what the impact will be. But the early results, certainly from that keynote speaker I heard in America, are pretty terrifying. The mental, the physical, the social and the spiritual. So just to summarize this kind of uh, first point I'm making about the hurry of life, after millennia of slow and gradual acceleration, in recent decades, the sheer velocity of our culture has reached an exponential pitch, and it means that we have less and less time for healthy relationships with one another, and very little time for cultivating our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. Our lives are lives of hurry. Secondly, my second point is rest. Come to Jesus. Rest, come to Jesus. Let's hear some words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. They'll appear on the screens. And we read this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to be my by Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, 
and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Three truths that I think Jesus teaches in these verses. And the first is this, that God favors the weak and not the arrogant. God favors the weak and not the arrogant. Verses 25 and 26 in that passage. I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. God is not particularly interested in what we perceive as our clever inventions, our myriad achievements that we might take pride in during our busy and hurried days. Now, God favors the weak and the humble, those who know their need of him, those who realize that they cannot get through life without knowing the love and receiving the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Notice that Jesus says here, only he can declare what God is like. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. We must never lose sight of the uniqueness of Jesus. He alone through human history is the eternal Son of God. He is the only one who can declare the reality of God and the truth of our lives. And therefore, we must trust, believe, and follow his words. And so these next words of Jesus are fundamental truth for every one of us. Thirdly, Jesus says that he offers rest for the broken and an easy yoke, verses 28 and 29. And the rest that Jesus offers each one of us is the grace of God, the unconditional love of of God. Famously defined by the writer Philip Yancey who said there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. And Jesus wants us to rest in that truth of grace. And if we rest in that truth of grace and the reality of God's forgiveness of his acceptance of each one of us as we come to him, then it removes our need to justify ourselves. It removes our need to rush around and achieve and to feel useful and successful. Jesus uses the image of the yoke. The yoke was used in agriculture to bind two animals together so that they jointly could share and pull a heavy load. And Jesus is saying that if we are united with him, if we come together with him, then His yoke is easy and his yoke is light because he cares for us and he loves us deeply without limit. As ever, Jesus speaks the truth into the reality of our fallen and our broken world. And to the busy, to the hurried, to the tired, to the worn out, to the weary, to the burdened, he invites us to come and to receive his rest restful grace and love and peace. Furthermore, he bids us to be yoked with him, to come together 
and be with him, united with him, constantly receiving his Holy Spirit. That uh, sense of being so close to Jesus that we are just constantly receiving the power, the strength of his Holy Spirit into our hearts. But if we're to come to Jesus, if we're to receive his rest, to be united or yoked with him, we need to be intentional about spending time with him. It comes back to the talk that Lee gave us at the beginning about spending time, setting aside time to be with Jesus. And the problem with the exponential growth in busyness and distraction in our world is that we tend to spend less and less time. We tend to feel we have less and less time to spend with Jesus. And that destroys our spiritual life. So we've looked at the hurry of life, the exponential growth in distraction and busyness. We've looked at the words of Jesus who invites us to come to him and to receive rest. So finally, I just want to end with some tips on how we can slow down, how we can create that space to be with Jesus and to receive his rest. So I don't know if you've read this book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I know a lot of the teaching this term is based on this book by John Mark Comer. It's a fantastic book, really accessible, lots of fantastic practical applications. Now, I think under the chapter Slowing Down, there are at least 20 tips for slowing down or instructions for slowing down. Um, I'm only going to give you five, okay? Um, and, um, but it's really well worth reading this because it's deeply challenging but written in such a gracious way uh, that although one can't fail to be challenged, one doesn't feel too beaten up at the same time. So here are five, five tips and they will apply to us differently but I think they are all of value and they will help us slow down. They will help us cope with the busyness of the world around us and um, make sure that we receive from Jesus. Um, the first is this, drive at the speed limit. By the way, all of these are totally directed at me. Okay, So that means driving at 30, not 33. Okay, 70, not 75. And I'm really talking to myself, and my wife will be able to give you more information about that. Um, note, uh, this is a, a, a note from John Mark Comer. Not below the speed limit, because that's really annoying. Okay, But at the speed limit. And uh, he also says, take time out in the slow lane as well. When you're driving, see it as a time just to, to slow down. Go in the slow lane of the motorway. Um, he says, behind the granny in the Oldsmobile. That's an American uh, car, if you don't know. And um, take the time just to reflect. Take the time to pray. Don't close your eyes, though, unless you're not driving. But take the time to reflect, to pray, to slow down. So even what for most of us might be just a really kind of daily routine of driving to work, driving to school. Let's slow down. Let's keep to the speed limit. If we're on the motorway, let's go in the slow lane and just take a bit of time out. Secondly, arrive at appointments 10 minutes early. This is a real challenge to me, and I have put it into practice a little bit over this year since I read this book. I actually read this book back in the spring, and I think this can really transform our lives, actually. Um, I am one for just thinking I can get that extra email sent off before the next appointment, and I end up getting there two, three, five, maybe even ten minutes late, which is really disrespectful to the person I'm meeting. But what John Mark Comer says is leave more time. Leave earlier, arrive at your appointment ten minutes early, and pray. Pray for that appointment. Pray for that encounter. Pray for whatever's on your heart. Or just observe what's going on around you. You know, you might be meeting somebody in a cafe after lockdown, and 
maybe observe the people around. Maybe God will prompt you to pray for one. Maybe there will be a conversation that's really fruitful that comes about. But I just thought that is an, an amazing little practical tip for slowing down that could yield such fruit in our lives. Arrive at appointments 10 minutes early. Thirdly, this is a really, really challenging one. And John Mark Comer has, um, by his own personal example, I think, uh, uh, some really challenging teaching on this. He says, parent your smartphone, okay? Parent your smartphone. What does this mean? This means, just like you parent your children, if you have children, you put them to bed. It depends what uh, age they are. But let's say our children kind of go to bed 8 or 8.30. Put your phone to bed at the same time as your children, okay? What does that mean? It means... um, Maybe putting it into airplane mode or switching it off. Putting it in the drawer in the kitchen. Certainly downstairs. And then wake your iPhone up in the morning. Okay, uh, And that means don't get your iPhone out before you've had quiet time with the Lord. And this is a really, really important practical tip to slowing down. If the first thing we do, and I believe 90 of people check their iPhone or their smartphone as the first thing they do. Because it's by your bed, you check it, and you see what text messages you got, what emails have arrived, what notifications have come in. If that is the way that you start your day, you are starting your day with all sorts of stress. You're letting the world set the agenda for your life. Okay, So there'll be the stress of news alerts, if you have news alerts. They are never good news on the whole. There will be the stress of some emails, somebody you work with who sent an email at midnight saying you haven't done this. Um, And then there's all the comments on social media, a lot of which can be quite critical and quite angry and quite judgmental. That is not a healthy way to start the day. So he says it's really, really vital that you start the day in prayer and just reading a bit of God's word and praying, praying about what's on your heart, what comes out of the scripture, and praying for the things that are going to happen that day. And then you have got a foundation of God's grace that will enable you to cope with and to put into perspective all that will happen. And certainly our smart devices are part of, quite a large part of what will happen. So really, really important to start the day in the presence of God. First thing we should do is pray and read his word. And then once we've got up, I suggest uh, strongly that it's only then that we perhaps get our phones and wake our phones up and see what else is happening. Establish scripture and prayer as the foundation of your day, not email or the anger of the world. Um, John Mark Cope is more more radical about the iPhone, actually. Um, And he says, why not turn your iPhone, your smartphone, into a dumb phone? Have you ever heard of this phrase, dumb phone? Okay, so that's when you basically take off all the apps that are distracting. Okay, so um, he would say, take off email. Take email off your phone. Okay, take all social media off your phone. Transfer it to a desktop so that it is actually much more limited in its ability to interrupt your life. Um, And set times for social media each day or each week. Disable your web browser, he says. Web browser. Delete all notifications. Notifications are a nightmare, he would say. Um, Ditch all the news apps and the news alerts. Um, Delete every app that seriously doesn't make your life easier. Or, he says, just get a non-smartphone. 
trade it in and get one of those ones that flip down or whatever they are. Get your old Nokia out. Probably doesn't work anymore. Really, really challenging. Now, I have to confess that I've had very mixed uh, success with this. When I read it, I was really challenged, and I took all my emails off my phone. Um, so my emails were just confined to my computer. Um, and the challenge I found was just the number of times people would say, um, oh, could you just take a photograph of your electricity bill and email it to us? You know, I think the electricity company said this to me. Or could you take a photo of this? I said, no, I can't do that because I, I don't have email on my phone. And so it was a little bit of a challenge. But I must say, I think John Mark Comer has got a very, very important point here. These iPhones uh, have so much functionality that is so distracting. Are there ways in which we can remove some of those distractions? So there's a real challenge about parenting our smartphone, at least having some pretty strict parameters in place. Um, And it might be that you think, actually... If I remove emails, if I remove some of these apps from my smartphone, my life is going to become much freer. May I really encourage you to pray about that and uh, to do that. Um, Fourth tip, set times for email. He says each week. So John Mark Comer says he does email between 10 and 11 on a Monday. That's all, which I've never come across at all. And I think probably he's got a specific kind of job that enables him to do that. But he, has, he does this email 10 to 11. He reduces it to nothing. And um, he has a little reply that says, thanks so much for your email. I really look forward to reading it at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. And if you've sent it at midday on Monday, you know, um, he would say, when you get that, you think, right, John Mark Comer's not going to sort out my problem, so I'll have to sort it out another way. Um, and he says, what happens is you don't get many emails. You know, the more emails you send, the more emails you get. And it's that kind of ever-increasing cycle of pressure, isn't it? Well, let's just say that maybe for most of us, we can't just check email between 10 and 11 on a Monday. But what we probably can do is say, right, I'm only going to check email twice a day, let's just say. Maybe 9 till 10. And maybe 4 till 5. I don't know. Uh, Now, I guess the reality of our working lives all vary, and that might not be feasible. But what John Mark Comer is saying is there's a lot of research to suggest that we really should um, focus our our tasks so that we haven't got one task that dominates the whole of our working life, and probably email dominates most of our working lives. If we can contain our emails to maybe two sessions a day, we will become much more effective, we'll become much more present in the other tasks that we face, much more effective than those, and um, uh, it will release a lot of time and pressure. So set time for email each day or week. Uh, And finally, uh, a final tip, walk slower. And again, these are all directed at me because I'm I'm terrible at uh, just looking at my emails at set times. I'm a really fast walker as well. Um, I think it was because I was at a school that was quite spread out, and um, I was quite earnest at school, so I used to walk quickly uh, to get from place to place so I could maximize uh, the things that I could do. But he says, look, reduce your pace. Um, I used to be a a parish priest um, for the last 20 years, and so I I used to either walk around the parish or or cycle around the parish. Um, Actually, my first vicar said, always cycle, because then... Uh, if there's somebody who you see who you really don't want to speak to, you can cycle past and wave at them and smile. But if you're walking, it's very difficult to do that. So that was a bad tip, really, for pastoral work. But um, I tend to walk really, really quickly. John Mark Hamer says, slow down your pace. Slow down your pace. And then you will start to notice more around you. 
You'll start to notice people. You'll start to appreciate God's creation. And um, God will use that uh, to prompt you. Um, And you will have time to stop and speak to people. And we know how God can use that. So those are just five tips there uh, for slowing down that I'd really encourage us all to consider. And I know um, there'll be some time for that for those who are in small groups uh, to consider that. But drive at the speed limit. Arrive at appointments 10 minutes beforehand. Parent your smartphone. Set time for emails each day or each week and walk slower. And it might be, I mean, five is quite a lot to take on board. It might be there are two, maybe just two of those that are particularly appropriate for you. And if that's the case, you know, maybe just take one this week and see if you can make progress on, on that in terms of helping you to slow down. So just as I finish, to summarize, hurry really epitomizes our lives these days. We are seeing this ever-increasing exponential pressure on our time, and it makes us feel rushed. It makes us feel hurried. It is the enemy of the spiritual life. Rest Rest is Jesus' invitation. Remember those wonderful words from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus and receive rest. But in order to receive his rest, we have to slow down. We have to create time for our relationship with him. So those are five tips there. Um, Let's uh, identify at least two of them that are particularly appropriate and applicable to us. Um, And let's lift them up to God and let's ask him to help us to slow down and spend more time with Jesus. Well, thank you for listening and God bless you all.